welcome to Excel Church. My name is Pastor Alicia, and I'm so glad you decided to join us for this morning's worship service. Now, life can be difficult, confusing, and even frustrating at times. But to know that you have a place to go and be lifted up or challenged to keep moving in the faith every week is indeed a gift. So this morning, as we come together in a world that's filled with discouragement, let us find encouragement in fellowship with each other. And let us spur each other onto love and good works. Today we began a four-week series on gathering together. Somebody say, gather together. So if you're here today, you're already headed in the right direction. To begin, I want to ask you a question. What do you know about solitary confinement? Yeah, you heard me right. I asked, what do you know about solitary confinement? It's interesting because solitary confinement or something that is also called administrative segregation is often used in prisons as a way to further discipline unruly or dangerous inmates. In a study covering the effects of solitary confinement, a 2012 article published by the American Psychological Association reported that deprived of normal human interaction, many segregated prisoners reportedly suffer from mental health problems, including anxiety, panic, insomnia, paranoia, aggression, and depression. The article goes on to say, evidence of these effects comes as no surprise. It borders on being common sense, but it's common sense with a lot of empirical research that supports it. So much of what we do and who we are is rooted in a social context. Somebody say that. So much of what we do and who we are 
is rooted in a social context. You don't need empirical research and longitudinal studies to understand that the adverse effects of being alone are severe enough that we impose them as an additional form of punishment on criminals. Think about that for a moment. We use solitary confinement to discipline criminals. Now with that in mind, why have so many of us willingly chosen lives of isolation, cut off from others? What are we missing? If so much of what we do and who we are is rooted in our social context, then who are we apart from those things? What mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual benefits are we missing out on? Over the next four weeks, I hope to address some of those questions. I believe that gathering together, even in this format, is powerful. And even more importantly, it's biblical. I believe that one of the most important reasons we gather together is to encourage one another. So I'm excited that we are able to come together and be encouraged on this morning. Encouragement is one of those things that we all need from time to time, and some of us desperately need it right now. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That was Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. You may have noticed from the passage that the way we encourage each other and spur one another on towards love and good deeds is by gathering together. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever tried to encourage yourself when you're all alone? How? difficult that can sometimes be. Some might call this self-talk or positive thinking. And indeed, there is a very real place for it when you don't have access to others. But there is something deeply transformative and powerful about being a part of a group committed to encouraging one another towards a common goal. Just think about that for a second. Think about your favorite sports team or an addiction recovery group that has been a blessing to you. I'm thinking right now about the weight group that I've joined to kind of inspire and keep accountability as we all reach towards our goal of being healthier and being in better physical shape and taking better care of our temple here in 2021. I don't know what group you may be a part of, but as you think about it, think about some of the ways that we can come together, even in our small groups, and encourage and spur one another on. Somebody say, spur one another on. 
So what exactly does that mean though? What does it mean to spur one another on towards love and good deeds? First of all, we need to deal with the word spur. It's not something we use really commonly in our everyday language. The only other time you see this word used in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 15, verse 39, when Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they separated each from each other in their mission's work. Strong's Concordance defines the word as incitement to do good or dispute in anger, contention. The point here being that spurring someone towards love and good deeds is not a passive action, but a very intentional, passionate, and purposeful action. If you've ever seen a cowboy use their spurs on the side of a horse to get it moving, then you've got a good idea of what's going on in this passage. I think we can all agree that there are times in our lives where we need a little extra help to get moving as well. We need a good spurring. Somebody say, I need to be spurred. As believers, we need to move towards Christ-centered love and good works that all point back to him. We also need to help others avoid a stagnant life, uh, one that's isolated from our community, one that is isolated from other believers. It can be far too easy to grow complacent and disillusioned with the convenience and chaos of a 21st century life. It is too easy to get discouraged and too dangerous to journey alone. Somebody say, don't do this alone. The other thing we want to remember is, don't give up. Life is a marathon, not a 200 meter dash. There will be long stretches of relative ease and enjoyment, followed by adversity, despair, and moments of feeling like you just want to give up. And this race is long enough that the cycle repeats itself over and over again. Even those whose faith is in Christ are not immune to the pitfalls of life. There are some who would go as far as to say that believers should expect a little more difficulty, not less. And there are people with us even today who are immersed in incredibly trying seasons of adversity. To you, I would say, don't give up. You are not alone. And thank you for being here today. Somebody say, don't give up. King David, who knew a thing or two about adversity, reminds us, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Psalms 30, chapter, chapter 30, verse 5. One of the reasons we gather together is to encourage those who are hurting to keep pressing on. Together we remember that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. 
our passage from Hebrews says that there are some who've made a habit of not meeting together. That's just their thing. You know, I don't need to come to church. I don't need to gather with other people. I'm still a Christian. And you may be. I know that many of you understand the idea of a habit, what they are, how many days it takes to make them and break them, and etc. Let's take it a step further today. The word translated as habit here is the word ethos in the original language. It also means custom or right. And it sounds an awful lot like our English word ethos, which is obviously not a coincidence. The English definition of ethos is the distinguishing character, sentiment, moral nature, or guiding principles of a person, group, or institution. What Hebrews is saying is that some have made it their custom, it is who they are, to neglect gathering together. As believers, our one of our defining characteristics is that we regularly meet together. There are many reasons why we come together, and we will explore several of them through this four-week series. But I want to be clear about something here. For all the benefits we receive in fellowship, it's deeper than that. We gather together because that's who we are. Somebody say, that's who we are. When adversity comes to our doorstep, when things don't go our way, when we are confused and frustrated and angry, we join with others and fellowship and we spur each other on towards love and good deeds because it's who we are. It's what we do. The next thing I want to share with you is do it more, not less. So I say do it more, not less. Let me ask you something and I want you to use your imagination for a moment. If you spent your whole life thinking that you were an antelope and then one day you learn that you are actually a lion. Wouldn't you want to start doing all the things that lions do? Wouldn't you want to learn about life as a lion? And as you learn, wouldn't it be reasonable to think that every day you would look, sound, smell, and be more like a lion than an animal? Wouldn't it also be weird to see the same lion going back to the antelope life after tasting the alternative? I think you know where I'm going here. Isn't it also weird to see professing Christians behave in ways that seem contrary to their nature? Isn't it reasonable to think that a person grows deeper in faith and understanding of Jesus and his bride, that they would want to spend more time with others who believed as well? And if it's part of our nature, our ethos, to gather together, then 
It makes sense why this passage in Hebrews says we should do it all the more as we see the day approaching. I think most of us gathered here this morning would agree we need more encouragement, not less. More spurring on to love and good deeds, not less. More of the bride of Christ, not less. We need to spend more time acting like lions, not less. As we wrap up our time, I want to share with you a few verses from Matthew chapter 24. In this chapter, Jesus talks about the end times. And I want you to look specifically at verses 10 through 13 together. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Every day that passes is a day closer to the return of Christ for his bride, his church. And as Jesus warned, with an increase of wickedness comes a decrease in love for one another. Feels to me like we're seeing that decrease all around us every day. So friends, it's so unbelievably important that we commit to continuing to gather together. It's not a stretch to say that for many of us, it's a matter of living or dying. We simply cannot stand on our own. We need encouragement. We need to be spurred onto love and good deeds. We will not survive in isolation. We need each other. So I know that sometimes we feel like, well, maybe since we're not in person, Nobody will notice if I don't gather with the rest of my church family in our appointed place. But you know what? God does. He knows. In response to the message today, I want to ask you two things. Somebody say, all right, I'm ready. The first thing, I want you to commit to fellowship. We've been continuing in our fellowship and our small groups and our small group leaders are laying before the Lord and preparing to be able to meet with you and to encourage you and to stimulate your growth spiritually. And we want to take advantage of those opportunities. Somebody say, let's fellowship. And number two, I want us to take some time praying for and encouraging one another today. I have been finding the most creative ways to incorporate this into my everyday life. In fact, as I was painting my nails the other day, I came up with a little game 
where as I would wait for one hand to dry, I would think of someone from our ministry and I would just begin to pray for that person as I was waiting for that hand to dry. And then as I finished the other hand and I would put the other hand in and I would do that after each coat. I know, gentlemen, I'm boring you. But the point is, whether you're doing laundry, whether you're shaving in the morning, whether you're clipping your toenails, begin to make it a practice as the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and drops your, your family, your church family, your community, your leaders on your heart. Instead of, instead of speaking negatively, instead of uh, speaking ill, that we would take those moments and take those concerns to God and that we would begin to pray for one another. All right? So number two was, let's pray for each other. I believe that one of the most important reasons we gather together is to encourage one another. So let us commit to continuing to do that in any way, in any form, and in any fashion that is available to us now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you made it possible that we would still be able to come together and to gather. And Father, I thank you that you have knit our hearts together and that our love for one another spans time and spans space. God, I thank you that as we continue to love on each other, pray for one another, gather together, assemble even in our small groups, that you would continue to speak to us and help us to encourage one another. We thank you for filling each and every one of us up that we would be able to pour to those that you have placed into our lives. And we give you and you alone the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.